My name is Pastor Jeremy Bannister, and uh, here at Heights, one of the things that we're doing is we're going through the Bible in five years' period of time. And how we do that is six days during the week, we read the Word of God together. And that's just an opportunity for us as, as the body to get to know the Word of God. And if you want to know what we're reading right now, you can go out to the information desk, and we have little planners that have the entire year's worth of reading for you so you can keep up with us. Another way that you can do that is you can go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church and there we have devotionals based upon the readings of the day. We read the entirety of the scripture and we have a devotional based upon that scripture for the day to help bring some some practicality, if you will, to to some of those scriptures, because some of those scriptures are kind of hard to follow along if you're in some of the dry sections. We're not in a dry section of scripture right now. Right now, we're in the book of Judges. And what we do on Sunday mornings is that our, our sermons are based in whole or in part on the scriptures that we've read during the week. So this past week, we read Judges chapters 1 through 5. How many of you read along with us this week? awesome. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it awesome. It, Judges is a very unique book, right? We, we see this spiraling down of a society. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at. So I want you guys to, to keep that in mind. As we're going through the book of Judges, we're going to be going through some pretty harsh passages of Scripture, but there's a lot that we can learn from it. And today's sermon is titled, Wash, Rinse, Repeat. There are three things that are guaranteed in life. Some of you have heard two. You've heard death and taxes. I don't believe that. There are people who get out of taxes. There are three things that are guaranteed in life. Death is one of them. The other two are laundry and dishes. I know this because my wife, when my kids were young, would tell me how terrible her life only revolved around laundry and dishes like it never ends it's like we have so many kids and we have all these clothes and then never goes down same thing with the dishes in the house we just had a meal today can we just eat off of those plates like all day how many of you moms how many of you there raise your hand i'm just saying i'm just saying it's an endless sky cycle because guess what we're going to continue to wear clothes that's a good thing We're going to continue to eat on dishes, right? That's a good thing as well. But man, just that wash, that rinse, that repeat just becomes our life. And it's just, it sucks up so much of life. Like, all right, kids at home and this is all I do. I remember her saying that. This is all I do. I'm here with the kids and all I do is wash dishes and do laundry. Now that all the kids are out of the house, the laundry and dishes are less. Not gone, but less. And she's not near, as, not near as worried about when she does that because she has time for other things like thinking about more laundry and dishes. So anyway, but this idea of wash, rinse, repeat, how many of you have heard that phrase before, right? It comes from a shampoo, uh, like you're using shampoo stuff, it's wash, rinse, repeat, but it's also a phrase that means we see a, a pattern that is happening. That pattern could be good. That pattern could be bad. That pattern is just kind of factual, right? This is what happens. Wash, rinse, repeat. You do the same thing again, 
Okay? Well, that's what we're getting in the book of Judges. Because in the book of Judges, if we've read those first five chapters, we see in chapter one, we see judges coming forth and we see the conquering of the land remains incomplete. Judah and Simeon seem to look like they're they're working things out good, but then as we go to the other tribes that are there, they kind of do an incomplete job. They're strong enough to kick them out of the land. They're strong enough to totally defeat them, but they kind of keep them around for slave labor. It's really what happens. And as a result of that, the beginning of chapter 2, the angel of the Lord comes and says, "Um, I'm not driving these people out anymore because you guys have not taken seriously the commission to do this. And then we read the rest of chapter 2, which is what's going to be the main part of our text today. But God begins to raise up judges. In chapters 3, 4, and 5, we see our first three judges. We see Ehud, who comes up, and we see Shamgar, and we see Deborah. These are the three judges that are talked about in the rest of this. But they are the beginning of a pattern that we see throughout the book of Judges that is actually here in chapter 2. There's a lot that you and I can learn from it. So if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Now remember, this is happening right after the angel of the Lord said, I am no longer driving out the inhabitants of this land because of your disobedience. You could have done it, you didn't do it, now I'm keeping them here. Okay? Verse 6 says this, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterisks. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them, and he sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them, to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. 
I will use them to test Israel and to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. What we see here in Judges chapter 2 is the repeated pattern that we are going to see throughout the entirety of the book of Judges. This nearly 400 year period of time is this wash, rinse, repeat cycle of the Israelites are serving God and now they have fallen away and they're serving other gods in the nation. And as they do that, God enforces his covenant and he oppresses them with raiders that come in and suppress the people of Israel, either wholly or partially during this time. And when they kind of had enough, the people of Israel cry out, oh God, please save us. And God in his compassion delivers the people of Israel. And then as long as the judge lives, they're doing fine. But as soon as the judge goes away, it's like they they forget all about it and they go back to ways that are worse than they were before. Wash, rinse, repeat happens over and over and over again. And so we got to see some of that, right? Ehud and, and Shamgar and Deborah represent the beginnings of those things that we see. But this is going to happen throughout the book of Judges. So buckle up. It's just a big wash, rinse, repeat cycle. What's interesting about this, though, is that it happens so quickly. Because it says, after Joshua and his generation died, there came up another generation that neither knew the Lord nor what they had done for Israel. I find that a very interesting statement. You should, too. Because we read at the end of Joshua just last week, This promise that was given by the people of Israel to Joshua here at the end of his life, right? So we're not talking like long periods of time here. We're talking a very short period of time. Joshua and his generation, what do we figure? 15, 20 years? Because he's 100 years old at least when he's talking to the people of Israel. And remember the promise. Let's turn back and just refresh our memory real quick from the very end of Joshua that we can remember These famous words of Joshua and the famous response of the people of Israel. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 18. It says this. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. This is Joshua speaking. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Wow, it didn't take him long, did it? Joshua and his entire generation came, uh, came to their end and went to be with the Lord. And now an entire generation is grown up that neither knows the Lord nor what he has done 
for Israel. And they begin to serve the gods of that country. Some interesting things to note here. How could that happen? It's a really crazy thing to think about that. All that God has done. How could that happen? Remember we talked about last week the importance of being able to remember all the things that God has done for us, right? Be able to talk about those things so that we don't forget because we're forgetful people. We just are. As a matter of fact, if we read in Deuteronomy chapter 11, there's two places in the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 and Deuteronomy chapter 11 which doesn't get as much reading as Deuteronomy 6 passage. But it should, because in this is a detail that's not in the Deuteronomy 6 passage. Deuteronomy 6 talks about, you know, how we should be loving the Lord and serving Him and talking about Him all the time. But Deuteronomy 11 adds something else in there as it talks about that. It would have been good for the people of Israel to truly heed these words. Deuteronomy 11, starting in verse 13 This is part of that covenant promise, remember? This is that first covenant, the law being laid out before the people of Israel. This is what they're supposed to do. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. This is what they were commanded to do. And the warning is this, you need to do this so you will not worship the other gods of this land. You will be enticed to do this. And what does he say? Fix these words of mine. Not just to be obedient, but fix these words of mine. In your minds and in your hearts, right? Talk about them when you get up in the morning. When you walk alongside the road, when you sit down to eat, when you lay down at night, the conversations that the people of Israel were supposed to have concerning the Lord was supposed to be a daily event, a daily thing of a reminder of all the things that God had done for them so they would not forget. Not a one-time proclamation to Joshua and us walking away saying, oh, that was cool. That was awesome. Do you remember what we did 20 years ago when we talked about all the good things God had done? It kind of seems like that's what happened, right? This was like this big event that happened, and everybody's like, yeah, look what God has done. God is awesome. Let's go home and eat cornbread. I think it's kosher. But they didn't continue it. 
It's the only way that another generation can grow up and not know what God had done for Israel. An entire generation would grow up and not know what God had done for Israel and would not be following them. Think about that for just a moment. That That's not an entire, you know, proclamation one time a year. This was supposed to be a daily occurrence in the households of people that wake up in the morning and we're good at talking about God. Walk alongside the road, talk about God. Sit down and eat meals and we talk about God. Lay down at night and we talk about God. And the people of Israel did not do that. And it opened them up to serving these other gods. And and the crazy thing is that they would be more faithful to these false gods than they would be to the real God. They would follow the Baals and the Asterisks, but they weren't following God. They weren't talking about God. But it was easy for them to go and serve the Baals and the Asterisks. And so God enforces his covenant because he made a covenant with the people. And not just the people, but the generations of people. When we go back and read Exodus chapter 20, and we look at, ironically, not ironically, but providentially, verses 4 through 6, look at what God says in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And we see this cycle of sin that affects their children, and the covenant is still reinforced because God had made that covenantal promise to the people. Not to just one generation, but to future generations. Everybody who is an Israelite, who is a Jew, who is supposed to be following the Lord who delivered them out of Egypt, even if they're not aware of it, are part of that promise. And so when they were disobedient, they received the punishment concerning those things. Generationally, you know what? This is what my dad did. My dad served the Baals, so I'm going to serve the Baals too. My dad served the asterisk, so I'm going to serve the asterisk too. Why are such bad things happening to us? Because they haven't been raised in the Lord. They neither knew God nor what God has done for them. As a matter of fact, what's very interesting to me concerning this passage is how the judges are treated. So they're like, oh, wait a second. No, I remember. They made a covenant promise with, with God. And so we need to go pray that God will deliver us from these people. And so God in his graciousness delivers them again and again and again and again. And the interesting thing about this entirety of the passage of Scripture, it says, and the people were faithful for as long as the judge lived. That's an interesting statement, don't you guys think? That the people were faithful for as long as the judge lived. But as soon as the judge died, was no longer there anymore, they went back to ways not just as bad, but worse than before. So what you see in Judges is not a spiraling down, not like this wash, rinse, repeat. It's a funnel that comes downward. It's a downward spiral that 
is worse than it was before. So God delivers them and then they do worse things. And they, God delivers them and they do worse things. And they, God delivers them and they do worse things. This wash, rinse, repeat. All the way until the end where it says this. At the very end of Judges, this is where we're going. Spoiler, sorry. The end of Judges says this. In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. See, God was supposed to be their king. But he had been forsaken from the very beginning. Because they didn't want to worship him. They didn't want to love him. They didn't want to talk about him on a normal basis. And so what happened was the judges became, if you will, the figurehead of a relationship with God. So it's easy. So, So how do we know we're doing well? Well, we have a judge. And the judge is there, and the judge is who, who God used to deliver us. And so as long as the judge is alive, we'll do what the judge says concerning God. But as soon as the judge is gone, we have no direction anymore. See, this is the difference between having a personal relationship with the God who has saved you and a relationship through a proxy. In this case, it's the judge, Right? The judge is how they're having a relationship with God. As soon as the judge is gone, it's like they're back to doing their own thing again. And those old, their own thing kept putting them in places where they were doing things that were detestable to God, that God said you shouldn't do. Why? Because they didn't have a relationship with God. They weren't going home and still talking to their kids about Jesus. Jesus wasn't around yet, but the promise that was to come. They weren't going home and talking to their kids about all that God had done. They were just saying, well, the judge says we ought to do this. There's a big difference between the two, right? There's a lot that you and I can learn. Because this is a terrible cycle. This cycle is going to go on for 400 years, by the way. This cycle of wash, rinse, repeat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my sin and this sin is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until that final verse where it says, in those days Israel had no king. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So we're looking to God for that. And the problem with that is that you and I, unfortunately, when we look at judges, I think we can see ourselves. I think we can see our society. I think we can see what's happening right now around us. There's a lot to be said. It's, it amazes me because being in youth ministry for over 20 years, I've had these conversations with a lot of youth. I'm not saying youth who are here right now. I'm talking about over the years. So I'm not impugning anybody. Just want you to know ahead of time. Okay. But I can tell you over the years that as I've talked with many of the youth who have come through our youth group, how few of them have ever had conversations about the Lord in their house on a daily basis. It's just something they never talk about. It's like we go to church or we come to youth group, but that's about it. Uh, that the relationship with God kind of ends there. That, that Monday morning, we're not talking about God. We're not praying about God. We're not talking about the things God has done for us. And so we cr- get into these patterns that are very worldly in nature. Why? Because the world is what we know better. And the problem with the world is that those besetting sins for you and me are very alluring, aren't they? 
that we can fall into. And we fall into that same pattern of wash, rinse, repeat. How many of you have ever been in a cycle of sin? It's like, dude, I just want to get out of this. I know this isn't right, but you know what? I don't know what else to do. And I just find myself falling back to this again and again and again and again. How many of you can say you've done that? It's part of the human condition, isn't it? We know wash, rinse, repeat pretty well, don't we? And it can be exceptionally defeating. Because what do I do? And a lot of us, when that happens, we, we kind of forget about God. We, we get that because sin has this power of isolating us. Did to the people of Israel too. Because once we start doing things that we know are not right, it's hard to walk in to talk to the one who has made things right for you. And Satan wants you isolated. Satan wants you by yourself. Satan wants you to feel like you are all alone. He wants to accuse you again and again of all the times that you've fallen short. He wants you to feel as hopeless as the Israelites are going to feel after this 400-year period of time. Israel had no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that society, as we get to where this society ends up, man, it's going to look a lot like ours. And it leaves you a little bit hopeless. I find it very comforting in a strange way to realize that in the book of Romans, Paul writes down the same struggle that you and I have the, the idea of knowing the right thing and yet continuing to do the wrong thing. This wash, rinse, repeat cycle is not unknown. If we turn to Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14, it says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of the sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that point saying, you know what, I know that this is not the right thing to do, but I I keep doing it over and over again. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be anger, it could be pornography, it could be anything. It could be drugs, it could be whatever, whatever that easily besetting sin is 
You know why? Because every single one of us have felt the pressure of that easily besetting sin. Our sins may not be the same, but that pressure of that sin is the same for every single person. It's, it's what happens to us when pressure gets to you and me. And we run back to that quote-unquote happy place. It wasn't really happy, but it gave us comfort, right? So when I feel stressed and I feel pressure, I run back to this place that seems like someplace that I'm used to going, that place of solace, that place that everybody else is doing these things too. But now I'm doing it, and it doesn't give me the peace that I want. Man, I, I get done with it. I'm like, why did I do that? Oh, man, who can save me from this cycle that I just keep doing it over and over and over again? See, cycles are broken at the foot of the cross. That's what Jesus came for. Cycles are broken at the foot of the cross. Not by your strength or your will. If, if we could do it by our own strength, Jesus wouldn't have had to come to die. That's why I love the very next verse. I mean, we're left with this hopelessness, right? In verse 24, what wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And I think that if we're very honest, all of us have felt that. But I love that that's not where Paul ends this. Beginning back in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Thanks be to God. You know what? You can't break that pattern. Not by yourself. Sorry. Can't do it. You're going to fall into it again and again and again and again. I know. I've tried. I've got the badge. And it's defeating. And it's isolating. And you don't feel like you can tell anybody. But you're in a room full of people right now who all have the same badge. You know why? Because we've all tried. We've all failed. We all came to our end and realized that, guess what? By ourselves, we can't do this. There's no way. I'm going to fall into it again. Even as a believer in Christ, I have fallen into it. There's a difference, though. I'm not by myself. I have God who has sent His Son to die on the cross for me, for my sin, to recognize that those things that I could not accomplish myself, he did for me on the cross. That I might live for him and rather than for myself. Rather live for him doing the things that he would want me to do because of what he has done for me. Do you hear the same pattern coming through? This is what I want for you. I want you to know what I have done for you that you might serve me. I have loved you first so that you might love me. What an amazing thing to know that though we're powerless, 
he's overcome. And there's some interesting parallels with all of this. And some things we need to keep in mind. See, there's a myth that is out there that we need to clean ourselves up before coming to Jesus. Like, I, I, you know, you might be at the end of your rope right now saying, I am here, I'm at the end of my rope, but I'm not ready for Jesus yet because I'm not good enough for him. You will never be good enough for Jesus. You are like the people of Israel. You were like me before I came to know Jesus. And that in those days, I had no king. I did what was right in my own eyes. You're doing the same thing, and you'll continue to do the same thing until you recognize Jesus as king and Lord of your life. Recognize that he's already done this so that you can be living a life empowered by him through his Holy Spirit that he gives to you. To allow you to do the things you couldn't do yourself. To remind you of his love. To remind you of the things that he's done for you. To remind you of his words that he has spoken. The hope that you and I want that we can be accepted. But we got to clean ourselves up. That's such an American thing, you know? I got to be good enough for God so that I I can put on my Sunday best and, and just he can accept me. Dude, he created you. He already knows what's wrong with you. And he knows what's wrong with me too. And he sent Jesus to die for you, to die for me. And here's the thing that I think we need to recognize because it's not just about us. It's this generational thing. Those of us who are parents, those of us who are grandparents, you know what what we don't want to do? I know it's a big fear of mine growing up. I don't know if it's a big fear of yours. I don't want to pass on my sins to my kids. I don't want them to have to learn the hard way of all the things that I have done wrong before the Lord. And you know what? I can't save them from the fact that they're going to struggle with sin. Can't. Sorry. We're all sinners. We're all in that boat. But man, I don't want this generational sin to to do what it did to the people of Israel. It brought oppression to them. It brought suffering to them. It brought brought so many bad things that God did not want for them because he wanted them to recognize all the things that he had done for them, all the great things that had happened. And so he wanted the conversation around the dinner table. He wanted the conversation around the driving time. He wanted the conversation when they woke up in the morning to be all about him and the good things that God has done. And that was something that I was determined and I want for my kids so they can see how good God is. It's not going to happen in our homes or in our households if this is the time, if I'm the proxy, if the church time is the only time we're talking about God. They don't get that opportunity to really have that relationship with God inside your home, which is what you want. And so how do we break generational sin and how we break the cycle so we might see that blessing of thousands of generations that he blesses to a thousand generations of those who love him and obey his commands. Isn't that what we want for our kids? Isn't that what we want for our grandkids? Then I don't want to say the formula is the same, but it's, it's the same advice God's going to give. God should be on your lips all the time. If God has done this for you 
and you have experienced the love of Christ in your life that's transformed you, and you want that transformation to be with your kids, then you're going to have to talk about that all the time, not just on special days of the week or special times in which you get together or these special moments that says, oh, wasn't God awesome? It's got to be all the time. Otherwise, we will not perpetuate the faith that God has called us to do. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, raise your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're called to do that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it but in order for us to do that we're going to have to do what Israel didn't that means talking about God all the time all the time means that it, it needs to be a conversation that's not off limits we should be as easy talking about God in our household as we do sports and dude we can talk sports at least I can name your favorite hobby what's your favorite hobby throw some out there what? Jim. Volleyball. What? Working out. Art? Nice. What else? Comic books. Yeah, there we go. Speak my language too. I like comic books. What else? Reading? Okay. What else? Dancing. Woohoo. Now, if I took any one of those subjects, right? And I started talking to you about stuff like, how many, how many of you like movies? Some of you movie buffs? Books and movie buffs? How many of you critique the movies that come out because you've read the books and you're like, the book is better? Yeah. You know why? Oh, the book's better. But we know that material. We know that material so well. Oh, they got that totally wrong. They totally butchered that character. Why are they doing that over there? I can't watch this movie. It's a totally waste of time. We're so proficient at talking about those things because we're around it all the time. We need to be as easily proficient about talking about our Lord and Savior. We need to be easily proficient about knowing his word. We need to be easily proficient about getting our kids into the word so we can have those conversations. We need that in our lives. You know why? So that they won't fall victims of the gods of this age in the same way those people of Israel did. Because just like the people of Israel, God said he kept, those, he kept all those nations around to test them, to see if they would be faithful. Guys, we live in this time, at this age, at this time where it seems like the world's going crazy and totally against God. And you know why we live in this age? Because God is testing you and I. We're right here in the same time saying, are you going to be faithful or are you going to fall victim to the things of this world? Because they're here, I know it, like that's going to surprise God. God, do you know what's happening in America right now? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. But you want to make sure that you're not falling victim to it and your kids aren't falling victim to it? Then you need to be in the Word. You need to be talking about God. You need to be talking about all the great things that God has done. You need to let your kids know that there is a king in this household. You need to live as if there's a king in your life and you're not doing whatever it is that you want to do. You're doing what he wants you to do because what he's done for you. That's how you avoid this pattern. And it starts... At the cross. And parents, just so you know, I have these for you. These are to help you to make those conversations real in your family. Talk with me about it afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about how these can help make that a reality in your families.
But are you tired of the wash, rinse, repeat cycle? Doing the same thing over and over again? That can change today. At the foot of the cross, recognizing what Jesus has done. You don't have to do what Israel is going to be doing, what we're going to read about. That's going to be rough. I'm going to tell you the next few weeks are going to be rough because you're going to be hearing all the consequences. But the hope for you and me is this is broken at the foot of the cross. Do you stand with me? I'm going to ask our elders just to come forward and Do you need Jesus? Do you really need Jesus? Have you been trying to do this on your own? Are you here today trying to clean up your act before you come to Jesus? I'm telling you, you can't and you shouldn't. It's why Jesus came and died. You can have that freedom today. Accepting his sacrifice on your behalf. Are you a believer in Christ and you kind of forgotten? Maybe we just haven't talked about Jesus and we're finding ourselves in that wash, rinse, repeat cycle and then the sin of isolation wants to drive us away from community. If they just knew, you can break that cycle right here, right now at the cross. We would invite you to come, not because these men are better than you. They're not. They're here in servant roles to pray for you. To let you know you're not by yourself. Do you know somebody who needs the grace of Jesus Christ? That their cycle that you see of that wash, rinse, repeat. If they could just understand what Jesus has done for them. Then we invite you to come right here in the front part of this altar. To pray for those who need that cycle broken. It can only happen at the foot of the cross. It can only happen through the sacrifice of Jesus. It can only happen because of what he has done for you and me. If that's you, you come during this time. We're here for you. God, thank you so much for our time together today. In our lives, dear Heavenly Father, you will break the cycle of wash, rinse, repeat in our lives, in our legacy, in our family, dear Heavenly Father. We do not have to continue to do those things. But God, in order for us to do that, we have to recognize what you've done for us. We have to understand that we can't do it ourselves. That's why you sent Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you give at the cross. Thank you that we can have a king who rules our life, who rules our family, who can change things around us, dear Heavenly Father, because of what he did on the cross. We praise you, dear Heavenly Father. Help us to share this good news with others in Jesus' name. Amen.